things go awry. I, I, I don't trust technology after I, I've seen too many sci-fi movies where the enemy is technology. Terminator, yes, yes, yes. The Matrix, <laughs> um, Blade Runner. I mean, it's all doom. It's all doom and gloom when it comes to technology. Yeah, yeah. So it, we, we'll be safe, and we'll we'll continue to use the Google Hangout as our backup. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess uh, here we are on episode uh, five. Episode five of the Cinema Discovery Project. I am one of your hosts, Stephen Billings, and with me once again is, as I call him, the Guru, <laughs> Andrew Cabral. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. I, I still don't like that nickname. That's still too much pressure. <laughs> okay, fine. I'll I'll come up with a new one for you for the next time. But good, I, we got it. We got We got to have cool names, man. Yeah. I mean, the, I, I, I feel like we have to have names. I don't know why. The guru comes with too much expectation. Okay, too fine. Much. I'm gonna give you a new one right now. Um. Okay, I'm not. Never mind. I don't have a good one. Um, I'll wait. <laughs> I'll, let me think about it. But um. Once again here, we're here on the Cinema Discovery Project, and once again, this is going to be a uh, horror-themed uh, for for the, the month of October, and in this one, we're going to do our first, uh, we're going to try our first hand at uh, kind of doing a more a focused episode, a, a spotlight episode is what we're going to call it. it we're going to have a series of, of podcasts that we call Spotlights, and this is our first one, and it's going to be on the very controversial film of, of, of its time, uh, and now basically a considered a uh, a cult classic a classic uh from 1960 uh michael powell's peeping tom and uh you know if you've listened to our last episode we kind of bring it up a little bit um as being kind of uh the kind of one of the first looks at the slasher genre you know with the psychological thriller you know it's got a, l- a lot of stuff in it but um i'm really excited to talk about this one i think this is one that maybe not a lot of people know about unless you're kind of in this kind of more you know cinephile circles people that really check out classic films and foreign films so the mainstream people might not know this one do you love this film andrew oh yeah (laughs) i i really love it a lot um i would say that some call it a masterpiece which tends to be a very loaded word when it comes to talking about movies but i wouldn't necessarily disagree with that uh i first watched it a couple of years ago i want to say 2015 2016 around there i had first heard about it um probably through martin scorsese i just have that feeling that all of my michael powell or em- michael powell and emmerich pressburger uh movies i first learned about from him uh him just talking about peeping tom and i was like peeping tom that i've never heard of this movie <laughs> but then he talks about the premise behind it and i'm like wow that that sounds really interesting and then i watched it for the first time and it just like blew me away i was like oh my goodness this movie is incredible and so far ahead of its time and yeah, then and i, I started yeah, and, and as we're going to talk about, about Martin Scorsese plays a big role in, in uh, Michael Powell's kind of career after uh, Peeping Tom because, you know, and we'll get into it later. But we do want to start off uh, by kind of, you know, we want to say that we are going to get spoilerish in this episode, um, but we are going to start off by kind of, you know, briefly going over the synopsis in a non-spoilerish way so you guys can get an idea of uh, what, what this film's about. Um, see if it piques your interests, and so maybe you can go and seek it out and come back to us if you don't want to be spoiled. So, uh, um, Andrew, why don't you start us off with some of the uh, some of the details of the plot here? 
Okay, this movie, as Steven said, came out in 1960. It is kind of categorized as a psychological horror thriller film um, uh, directed by Michael Powell. Not uh, not the typical Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger, you know, duo uh, directorial uh, film that you see a lot from it, from them. This was Michael Powell by himself. It wasn't done under the, the Archer's production company, it was just his independent production company and this film uh, was written by leo marx and starring carl i'm probably gonna butcher this name it's either boehm or beam i'm not quite sure i want to uh, say anna, boehm yeah, yeah yeah anna massey uh moira Shear is also in the film that's a name you're probably familiar with moira Shear was in a was in a previous uh michael paul and emmerich pressburger film better known as the red shoes which is um, one of the it's best films probably I've ever my, seen. It's, it's probably my favorite uh, Powell Pressburger film. That's probably, yeah. Yeah, she has a very small role in this film, but it is important to the plot. Um, the film revolves around a serial killer who is portrayed by uh, Carl, B, Carl Bohm, uh, whose name is Mark Lewis, I believe. Yeah. And he has a very interesting way in which he... Uh, kills his victims. He likes to uh, film them on his handheld film camera that he always carries with him, and he particularly wants to see uh, how fearful they are while they die. And the way in which he kills a lot of these women is that at the end of his uh, tripod that he has, it detaches, and there is a knife at the end, or a sharpened edge, or whatever you want to call it, and he stabs his victims, and he also holds up a mirror to them to have them watch themselves die to really get a better sense of the fear that they are feeling, kind of amping up that fear. It's a very sadistic movie if you haven't yeah. gotten it, gotten that all. You can maybe see why at the time it was it was very controversial because it, it, it kind of, and in the way they shoot this film, you know, they very much put you in the eyes of the killer. Uh, you're yes. there with him um, because every, yeah. a, lot of the, a lot of the kills are from his point of view. Yeah, and the the sadists, the sadistness, I don't even know if that's a real word, um, <laughs> kind of just grows from there because without you know we're right in the we're we're still talking non spoilers uh, stuff yeah. here. Is he likes to uh, one he develops his own film and two he likes to watch uh, the footage back by himself in his apartment, and that is kind of a a fetish that he has. The film is dealing with kind of that type of fetishism, a very controversial fetishism, not only of the peeping Tom or the voyeurism aspect of it, but getting the excitement of watching stuff like that, watching essentially uh, self-made snuff films. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, I think they call it. Um, what is the word for it? It's uh, um, I'm looking for it here. This is great podcasting right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the peeping Tom, uh, you know, mental illness is scopophilia. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, or, uh, or voyeurism. Sadoma or... Sadomasochism is sadomasochism is like, is, is something like, that's is a little get, different. Getting pleasure from hurting people or, or, yeah. or humi humiliating people, and you then... basically get pleasure from pain, whether it's yeah, uh, you know, pain upon yourself or pain from others. You kind of get off that, get off from that, and you can get off uh, typically sexually, and that's yeah. what a lot of this film. Uh, hints at doesn't quite show it but it's kind of all implied 
of, of, of you know, the sexual gratification of these types of things. Well, which you know, of course, I, I, yeah, reading very in, controversial. Yeah, and reading into it, actually, you know, the writer, um, he talked about that. He talked about how, um, you know, initially that's where he felt that, that the lead character's motivations were, that he was sexually getting off on it. But then later had said that he felt that it was more unconscious, like it was something he was that was kind of, you know, taught into him, like it was put into him early on. Because if as we go into spoilers later, you find out about his past a little more and about how um, his father kind of you know instills a lot of uh, messed up things in his mind. I think you know really scars him early on. Um, yeah, and I think it, I, th- I think I don't think I think the sexual nature of it is kind of inherent just in what how he's doing it, and not really that it's sexual for him. Um, that right. he gets. It's, you know. I just meant that the fact that typically yeah. stuff like this is uh, utilized in a very sexual gratification yeah, yeah. way, whereas in this film it's not you know overtly expressed, but there is a lot of sexual stuff going on in this movie. The same pleasure um, you would get sexually is what he gets, you know, it's a mental thing ultimately anyway, and for him he gets that same pleasure just looking at these images, trying to get that right, right image of fear. Right. And and I guess I guess we might as well go into it now before we start delving deeper into the the themes because as you'll see uh when we discuss the plot of the movie is, you know, the themes will just pop up. They'll be they'll be yeah. there. Um, so starting out, the way the film starts out, and so the, now we're getting into our spoilers. Spoilers, spoilers uh, if you don't want to, yeah, stop here, go watch the movie, come back to us, um, and go on this ride. Here we go, yeah. let's do it. Starting out, uh, the movie starts out uh, inside of the camera, pretty much. We yeah. get a p- point of view shot from what it looks like uh, looking through the lens of the camera, and what we see is that this man is uh, this man who we of course learn is our main protagonist if you will is essentially picking up a prostitute uh you know a woman of the evening and what we see is that she takes him upstairs to this establishment this place and he is and she is going to be his first victim of of the movie basically of the movie yeah we're not really sure how many victims he's had in the past but He's obviously done this before, I think, and so he's he's got this camera hidden. She can't tell that it's there. It's kind of like in his coat, in his coat. She can't tell that, even though it. I, I kind of feel like you, you. How do you miss that? <laughs> yeah, the ca- yeah. I mean, I, I want to go into the cameras, you know, in the movie the because the camera's not like a. It's not like a, a GoPro. It's like yeah, it's not. You a, know. It's not a cell phone. <laughs> it's not. It's not a cell phone. It's not some detective spy camera. It's a big, you know, handheld camera that they had at the time where it was kind of automatic, where you press the button and the film canisters a world inside of it. But it is yeah. quite large and quite bulky, and it's going to be noticeable. But you know, uh, uh, perhaps a woman of this ilk is used to to types of uh, men when in certain fetishes fetish that they have when it comes to taking pictures of them or yeah. filming them on camera or something like that. You know, she doesn't seem all that concerned with it. And what we learn is that she is the first victim. And then, you know, um, what we see is a POV shot of the camera slowly pressing in on her and him. And we don't see we don't see the knife at the end of the tripod, but we just see her her reaction to it, her yeah. reaction to it. And then the opening credits hit, 
and the opening credits are are done over him watching the black and white footage of the murder that he just did. And this is where we kind of get into the mindset, okay, this guy has got a, a mental mental problems going on here. You know <laughs> what I mean? Some, he likes going to on. watch his stuff. You know what I mean? He he is he is not right in the head. And not only is not only does he like to watch the footage back of the murders he commits, he likes to then film the crime scenes afterward of all the people reacting and the body being taken away yeah, he, and the detective he, he, work he, he, and all that he stuff. He tells people it's a documentary. Yeah, you know, he, he tells people like you know it's a documentary he's working on, or or initially uh, when he's the next scene in the film is um, is he goes to the crime scene and then someone asks him, oh, what paper do you work for? And he comes up with yeah, and he he's kind of taken aback a little bit, but then he comes up with uh, the name of a paper. I can't remember what paper he says. I don't know if he says the Tribune or something like that. I can't remember. Yeah, what he, he says he's he's a, he's a reporter. He pretends. And to he be says a he's a reporter, but we learn yeah. in the movie that he's not. Uh, no, he what, actually works in a film studio part time, and then also on on the side does um, some softcore porn. <laughs> essentially, yes, and, and it's 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 not the softcore pornography that I guess many people are perhaps used to today. It's more uh, pinup uh, photographs. Yeah, pinup girls. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not late night Cinemax stuff that you watched in the, growing up in the nineties or two thousands. No. We're talking about you know nineteen. 19- uh, late 1950s, early 1960s, pinup girls and stuff like that, which is still very risque for the time, and risque so much for the fact that uh, when he go he goes into this this little shop that uh, that sells these pinup things, kind of on the side, and it's a really kind of funny scene where yeah. it, where we see like someone coming in to you know buy some newspaper, but he's really in there to to buy the the pick these pinup pictures. And, yeah, and to the point they, where, like, he forgets he's he, he forgets the newspapers that he bought. Yeah, he yeah <laughs> he starts to leave and forgets them. But yeah, I, I think that 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 scene kind of plays in. A lot, a lot of people say that you know this film also kind of touches on kind of uh, Great Britain's like the UK's like uh, kind of stuffy sh- stuffiness about wanting to talk about sexual stuff, like like that they have an issue expressing the sexual side of their culture like they oh yeah try to keep it under wraps like it's yeah, like of, it's i would say one of the main one of the many main themes in this movie is uh commenting on sexual repression yeah and yeah. what that does to one's psyche um what that does to society in general to where like you have to you know you have censor, to go, censor everything. Yeah. yeah, everything is censored to the point where you have to go. You go through back channels in order to have access to any to any of these things, and you see that you see that throughout the movie. I mean, it's done upstairs. You know, it, uh, the, the photographs are done upstairs behind doors uh, with women who kind of do this. You know, almost on the side, I guess. Like I think there's some types. There's some type of models, um, and they they kind of do this i guess to supplement their income or perhaps it's their main income we're not really sure yeah. um what we learn also is that i believe steven you just mentioned that he works um in the film production uh area like he works on a film crew he's the he's the focus puller and he's working on a movie um he's and and, but he also wants to be a director. He also wants to be a filmmaker, which is another aspect of this film. I think I want to touch on later, not quite now, yeah. is how this film portrays 
the psychological aspects of the filmmaking world and being a, a filmmaker and director. Um, and what we and then after that, I believe he goes back. To, well, there's uh, one. There, there is one thing on. I wanted to bring up about the one one scene when when he goes upstairs to meet with them women to take their pictures. Go on. There was yeah. a one particular moment that I think kind of plays a lot into what we were talking about a little earlier about how it's not it's not necessarily sexual in the way we would expect oh. it to be. Where you know he has a model that's waiting on him, and um, she turns her face around and her face is disfigured. She had gotten hurt, um, and you know. Basically, the model's like, you know, they told me you didn't need my face. And, of course, instead of kind of being, like, taken back by her disfigurement, he kind of is fascinated. Um, like, and he kind of look he just looks at her eyes. He looks in her eyes and sees, like, kind of the, the, the little bit of, like, anxiety in her eyes. And, like, that's all he cares about. Like, it's yeah, like... Yeah, he gets... It's, he's mesmerized. I completely... I almost completely forgot about this. And it's kind yeah. of important because... There's such a a fascination as to what he's fascinating about in this movie, in the sense like it's not he's not after uh, women uh, in a sexual way, in the sense that he's just going after gorgeous women and murdering them specifically. He's looking for something specific, and what the something specific is really uh, unique unto him. When when he sees this woman who is who has this this scar on her face he is completely transfixed by it like steven said yeah. to the point where it's like he's almost like like can't believe that that there's something so unique in front of him I, I think he finds a lot of these women to be as innocent as he was when he was a kid um you know a lot of the that's where he i think he feels like he finds uh you know uh, a comparison to how he was how how he is on the inside ultimately you know he's looking for somebody that has the kind of the fear that's in him too that he's trying to compare to you know he's trying to find the same thing that he felt when he you know when he was kind of basically tortured as a child but we'll get more into that later yeah it's interesting how he like you you know this woman's outward disfigurement is kind of what he's trying to get when he's you know terrorizing these women before he kills them yeah he's trying to get that that natural look of fear and terror on their face and this woman almost has it outwardly you know what i mean yeah, it's yeah. very very interesting but because, after because that so, you know because like you know i think he part of the reason he there's a kind of a logical reason he doesn't go after men is probably because he doesn't find it to be that easy like it wouldn't be he wouldn't be able to go after men and get the the fear um that he gets from women you know like they're 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 gonna fight back most men are gonna fight back probably right and, <laughs> and, and it's uh, we'll get into that i have a i have something cooking in my head but we'll, yeah, get, yeah. <laughs> we'll get into that in a second um uh but after that is when he returns home and when he returns home uh there's a party going on uh the lower uh tenants in the building he lives in uh are throwing a birthday party for the young daughter who is portrayed by uh, Anna Massey. She is Helen, Helen Stevens, and she's celebrating her 21st birthday. So he looks in the mirror, and in the mirror, he looks in the window um, and spies on what's going on, very much like a peeping Tom, essentially. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and, and I find that he, he, he's a lot more comfortable looking through like, almost basically a lens, in, looking at people through 
through lenses basically like whether it's his camera or through a window it's a lot it's a lot he's a lot easy but when he gets with around people then he he gets very nervous yeah and and he goes in and i believe he has a brief conversation with her uh, she kind of invites him into the party, and he's not really into it. You can kind of tell he's a bit of an antisocial person in general. Oh, really? And, That's what, yeah, you know, serial killers are usually very social, oh, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> who, who, who knew? Who knew? <laughs> who knew? So she try. She wants to invite him in, but he goes upstairs because, one, he's going to go and watch the film. He's going to go and develop film and watch the film of, you know, just just to fulfill that need anyway so he he's kind of almost an addict in that sense so he wants to get up into his room and he goes up there and then later and then i believe right after she goes up there and gives him a piece of cake and this is when we get their first interaction between these two characters the real real interaction between between them um what we learn is that in the back of the you know, apartment or room that he's living in is a kind of dark room where he develops all of his film, where he has all of his film canisters of all the developed film. He has a projector set up and he's watching a, and he's watching a film while she knocks and then she comes in and then she kind of, you know, asks him about it, you know, you know, what do you do? And he's like, you know, I, I work in movies basically. And he's like, oh, and she wants to watch the film's she wants to watch something she, that he was watching. And initially, yeah. he was going to put on the film that he was watching. <laughs> and he thought better of it. <laughs> yeah, like, you, you can <laughs> tell she's she, everything she asks of him is like, he has to stop and think about it for a second. And is like, do I want to do, do put myself in a position where I'm going to have to kill this woman? <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and he decides not to because I think he, he does like her. He, he likes her. He, she thinks she's, that she's pleasant and maybe... He, he maybe sees a way of some normalcy there um but so he, he holds back and i think one thing that's really cool about his his dark room or, or what i like to call it, it's like a cave it's he's a monster and that's his cave like he you know it, even to the point of like the sound design where you hear the dripping like you know the water dripping in the background you know from from you know whatever equipment he need, you know, whatever, you know, the dyes and stuff like that, that he needs to develop the film. But it sounds like a cave, you know, yeah. and, you know, and he's that monster that just goes, lures in his cave and watches his films of people he killed. <laughs> yeah. And it's very interesting because, I mean, photochemical uh, film development is not something you see a lot today in movies or really people probably learn to do. But back then, that was the only way to develop film is yeah, through, was the, only is through the chemical process. Today, everything is digital, so it's very, it's very interesting to see how that process uh, goes, and it's very interesting to see how long that process takes. Um, but getting back to what was going on in the scene is there is this almost uncomfortable back and forth. Um, uh, she's very, you know, the polar opposite of him. She's very social and almost bright, literally, uh, literally bright, and. And he asks her, you know, do you want, you know, you want something to drink? I really don't have anything, but all I, I have some milk if you want that. So yeah. she has the milk, and 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 then she, and I believe that's when they watch the film. And she, he puts on this film of him as a child, and she starts asking all kinds of questions like, oh, who's that? Is that you? Who's taking this? Who's taking this? He's, and she, and he's kind of trying to explain to her, oh, that's my father. He would film me. When I was a when I was a kid, and we start to 
really not only through the footage but just to his reaction to the footage um yeah. got to see how disturbing their relationship was well and i think I that's think, really important yeah i think i think you know and, and i meant to kind of bring this up near the beginning uh before they decided to make this movie Pre, uh, powell had had wanted to make a movie about freud um who is is this like you know very famous, you know, uh, psychologist or whatever you want to call who, who very experimental in mental health and things like that. And they wanted to make a movie, but then there was somebody else that was also, I think it was John Houston that was making a movie about Freud at the same time. So they decided to scrap that project and they made this movie instead. And there is some of them same thematic elements in the movie, especially with the father character who is experimenting on his child, uh, with like, a behavior when it comes to like scaring him and getting the reactions out of his son at a very young age, you know, throwing a lizard on him while he's asleep and scaring the crap out, you know, him waking up to it and like just things like that was, you know, very disturbing, you know. Yeah, Sigmund um, Sigmund Freud had a lot of interesting ideas. Uh, specifically, I mean, not to go into a huge diatribe, specifically when it came to the connection between parents and their children. You know, yeah. there was a lot of things that he talked about when it came to that relationship and how how impactful that was uh, on, you know, specifically on the child. Um, but, it, yeah, Stephen, you are 100 percent right. This is starting that whole Sigmund Freud, the, the Freudian thing in this movie where yeah. the father really, for the lack of a better term, psychologically tortured his son for experimental reasons yeah. just for a study that he was doing. Uh, as a psychologist, uh, and it's really messed up. You, some of the images you see is, uh, like Stephen said, with the lizard in the bed, and you also see um, uh, how he also showed his son how he was reacting on the deathbed of his mother. Also seeing um, his son while watching like two people sitting on a bench, I believe, like in a romantic embrace or something like that. And then you also learn that uh, you know that his father uh, got remarried, like what was it like six weeks after his mother died she he got remarried yeah 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 uh, so you see how like that's very impactful on him as well and it brings me to this idea that i was just having a little while ago of why he doesn't attack uh men and he attacks women i think perhaps he has a fear of of men yeah. uh, a, a fear of men in uh because his father was so abusive he mm -hmm. just keeps seeing um men as as a, you know, a really a threat to him, a foreboding thing, an aggressor to him, you know, and things like uh, things of that nature. That's why he doesn't attack men because he's fearful because of the re relationship with his father. That's just something I've just thinking yeah. in my head. And, and, and I, I think mean, I... and there is that playing on this aspect that, um, that typically throughout horror movies, just film in general, is that women are portrayed as the weaker sex. That that just is that just happens to be it. It's not necessarily yeah. true in any way. I don't think that's true, but that's kind of a running theme throughout film history, where sure, men are yeah. always the aggressors and they're always the the predators, the murderers, and they're always their victims tend to be women. And that happens that happens now in movies as well and TV as and TV too. So it's just something that I think is just embedded within you know this history of film. Yeah, I think that also plays in that idea. Also plays into his sexual, his actual sexual nature, like, um, because you know he's he's a good looking guy, 
but he doesn't he doesn't have seem to have an interest in any real relationships even though he's very nice to this girl you know there's a moment where they she kisses him but he doesn't really kiss back and he, then he like kisses the front of his camera because that's the, he's like he's trying to capture what she just did to him or something that's, um, that happens later in the film a little bit later is, yeah interesting though as you mentioned that and i guess this is kind of transitioning into one of the next moments of the film is when he is um back on back on uh working on the film where he's yeah. uh, working on the he's the like I said, he's the focus puller and stuff like that. Um, he he has arranged to where after the after the filming day is done, he's going to record some footage of the stand-in actress who is portrayed by Moira Shear in the film, and 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 that and that is when we we see him commit his second murder of the film, where he he has her do a bunch of things. He has her stand on this mark. Uh, he has her kind of dance around a little bit while he sets up and does all kinds of, you know, technical measurements and all that stuff with the camera. Just to, He wants to make this murder look just, just so perfect to where it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't mess up the documentary he's making. And he, and he ends up killing her and stuffing her body into uh, one of the prop. Um, like a chest. Yeah, like yeah. a luggage chest or something like that. And it gets and he get and that gets um gets found out uh the next day where they're working on the film again and then you know I believe the scene that they're working on uh the the woman has to ask for a bunch of different kind of chests like oh I want let me look at that one let me look at that one and what is interesting is I, it's it's not comical it really shouldn't be comical but when the guy <laughs> goes and grabs the chest to bring it to bring it over it's he's struggling with it and I'm like man maybe he he should know that something's just not right because all the other chests are empty so they're light you can throw them around or whatever this one he's really struggling with pulling it across and then he yeah. and he opens it the woman screams and the actress uh, in the scene screams and faints, and the director doesn't know, doesn't realize what's going on. Well, yeah, he he makes a comment about like how he wished like because they had tried to get a a scream out of that same actress in another scene prior, like in another in earlier in the movie. Yeah, she, and she he was says something to, to faint. She was yeah, he to says faint. something. Yeah, he says something to the effect of like, "Why couldn't we have gotten that the, like yesterday, like or whatever?" Yeah, it's like, like oh, she fainted. Yeah, oh, she. It's like, oh man, she fainted in the wrong scene. Um, yeah. and, and it's, and yeah, that was actually earlier. I believe the, the film, the, uh, scene that they were filming earlier was with the one that he was referencing and, and which Moira Shear was just standing by cause she's just a stand in for lighting basically. Um, which is kind of not, not the most gracious job, I guess, for any person to have, but if it pays, it pays, I guess. Um, and this is when the, um, uh, the police get involved in the, in the plot of the movie where these te these detectives come in or these police officers come in and they are uh, connecting uh, the previous murder with this murder because the women uh, have this same similar look of fear or terror on their face. So that's how they're able to connect these two murders. So they decide that they're going to interview everybody uh, who's involved in the production. Um, and I yeah. like how... I think the producer or the director or whatever, you know, like kind of complains about it because, you know, you know, if we miss a day of production, you know how much money that will cost? And it's like, yeah. and the guy's like, yeah, yeah, we know. But he's yeah. meaning like somebody just died. Maybe you should have a little more compassion <laughs> or sympathy over this. But yet again, that show, that's kind of a shot at 
probably the filmmaking um, world or the studio system or something like that, where like even if someone dies on a production, the uh, the people in charge are more uh, they're they're more concerned with how much it'll cost for them to miss time than it is the fact that yeah. somebody just died. You know, that what was I mean? a t- it was a it was a it was, it was a, a time. Yeah, yeah. yeah, nowadays you don't get away with that. <laughs> no, nowadays nah. not so much. I mean, nah. it it happens. People die on productions now. Sure, sure. And it's I and it can affect production uh, in in different ways. You know, sometimes they just continue on with it, or if it's an actor or something, they recast. Or if it's something that's really really controversial, they sometimes productions get shut down. They do, you know, and, and fi- films are a lot more complicated now. There's a lot more people that work on these movies, and I think there's probably a lot more things in pl- in play to, um, you know, counter counteract a- an issue like that. Whether it's some kind of insurance or something, if somebody gets killed or hurt on a set, and they have something happens, they can some there's there's back there's money that's backed up that can cover whatever time that's lost, or they can work around it where they can work with other actors. And work on their stuff while they fix the other, you know, recasting or whatever they got to do for the 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 person that's missing. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, so the cops they start to interview everybody and they and they get to um, Mark, yes. and uh, he's very pleasant. Of course, as a serial killer, he knows how to talk to people. He's already lied to people about being a reporter. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's he's very he's very you know for somebody that's not. Um, you know, really a, a people person. Obviously, um, he he's really good at talking his way out of issues. Like he's that's just it's one of the traits you, I guess you have. <laughs> well, it, it's it kind of goes with uh, you know he's very observant of people and their nature. You know, always being behind a camera, he's always observing the way people act. So he can so he's essentially imitating it. So he understands people's tendencies. So he can just make stuff up because he knows people will believe it and what's interesting in this scene particularly is that is he's he's filming the investigation yet again doing what he did before like he's going around like uh filming the detectives as they're walking around and he's going and he goes up to the rafters and he starts filming uh them look them looking over the body and talking about the talking about the murder and stuff like that and then when he goes in for the interview you know, he hit, yeah, well, he he, hit. he also he he has a moment of there's a moment of suspense in that scene where yes, he, there is. his stuff falls out of his pocket and yeah, they like kind of like stop and, and look, look around for somebody and he has to kind of leave. Um, and that yeah, that's a good scene. Yeah. yeah, but that yeah, but when he walks into the interview, he he hands the camera over and he's like, yeah, if you want if you want the footage, you know, from from early, from that I was recording before. You know, here you go, and the guys like, and the guy and the detective's like, oh no, whatever. And he, the detective just they're just holding the camera, just like playing around with it, and and the other detective is kind of interviewing Mark, like asking him, oh, did you know, did you know the, did you know this woman, you know, you know how well did you know her, stuff like that, Gen- the general questions that you would ask, I guess, in a murder investigation. And Mark is just transfixed on his camera. He's just like, he just can't be away from it for more than a second and he can't handle the fact that somebody else is touching is it. messing with his his weapon it's his <laughs> it, it, it's it's weird because it's his weapon but it's also like his companion it's his lifeline it's his yeah, security you, you realize it's so you know, many things you, to him yeah you realize in an upcoming scene that he he has to be forced basically to part with it just for for a short amount of time because yeah. you know he he leaves that that 
scene, and I think then when he comes back home, there he he comes to get um, Helen to go on a date. Yeah, the, the, yeah. I don't know if that's the scene right after. I was actually thinking about this. Uh, afterward, we get the scene where he's arriving home, or he's already arrived home, and you get uh, Helen and her mother are talking. Yeah, and yeah, her, yeah. And the mother is very astute. Uh, for someone she's, who she's also blind. Yeah. She's also blind. She's also blind, and she and we always see her uh, with a with with a, an alcoholic beverage in her hand. She she <laughs> likes her she likes her liquor, um, and but she's very astute, and she she's not very trusting of Mark. Uh, yeah. You know, she 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 she, keep, she asks uh, Helen a bunch of questions like, "Oh, doesn't he work at you know in movies? Did he work at that studio where that woman died? You know what I mean?" Yeah. Uh, you know, just asking like very investigative questions, and and then afterward is is when we get to when she uh, Helen and Mark go out, and like Stephen said, Helen wants him to leave his camera behind because you know just they're going. Wait, to why does he need it? Why does he need it? Why does he need it all the time? Yeah, and, and she <clears> doesn't we, we understand. Know. Yeah, yeah, we know, we, but she doesn't understand why he brings that everywhere he goes. <laughs> yeah, and he's really reluctant to give it up. And she's like, you know, I, you know, uh, we can leave it over here in my, I can put it away, you know, it'll be safe, or you can bring it upstairs or whatever. Like, she's really accommodating for the camera. Yeah, she, and she offers, you know, they, they go to take it in her room, and, you know, what we realize, and what we yeah. didn't point out earlier is that, is that this this whole house that these people live in was actually is, is actually his childhood home, um, yes. and 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 after his, his his family you know all passed away, he's the only way he could keep it was to to rent rent out the rooms to people. So the room that she's staying in was his mother's room, and he you know brings that up to her you know and that's a so. very interesting thing that yeah. I think is gonna pay pay off a little bit later if you look more underneath and I, the surface. And that's probably part of why he 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 has an affinity for her. You know, it, yeah. you know, he, he, you know, he probably really loved his mother, but you know, when she, she passed away, you know, it was the only person that didn't harm him, you know, that's true. <laughs> you know, so, uh, and which makes it very interesting that that's, I mean, it's like the, the only person in his life that was probably good to him was probably his mother. But then again, he goes and kills women. It's very, it's very twisted, you know, it's like, very, very twisted. Uh, yeah. so they go out, uh, so they're, they're leaving to go out on. Uh, this date, if you will, you know, he said he's he's very sociable with her. It's very interesting how different of a person he is with her uh, in this specific setting than he is uh, with other people and just in general. Um, he seems normal almost yeah. until he sees two people yeah. embracing, like yeah, in yeah. a romantic embrace, and he goes to re- I don't know if you noticed it, but he goes to reach for his camera and it's yeah. not there. And he doesn't yeah, it's, really it's, know how to react. It's yeah, instinct. He, it, it's instinct. Yeah, it's for instinct him. for him to do that. And and I think he's also very. I think he's afraid. I think he's afraid to see that it, without his camera, like without the lens. Like it's like he he's getting getting faced with reality almost. And he's like that's he's, he's kind of scared. But then once he goes on the date, I think he starts to open up and like almost forget that he almost that he doesn't need it. You know, like yeah, he starts well, to actually actually live life a little bit. Yeah, what we get is like a nice montage of of them having seemingly a wonderful time. You know, yeah. they have a nice time, and then that's when um, they re- they return back to the house, and Mark retrieves his camera, his precious camera. That's what this is the scene that Stephen was talking about earlier, where she she kisses him. 
Um, and, you know, we're not quite sure, you know, of what his history is with intimacy with women. This could very well be his first intimate act with a woman. We're not quite sure about that. Um, but, and this is when he go, and then he goes back upstairs. And when he goes back upstairs and he goes into his dark room, there's someone there waiting for him. Someone <laughs> we didn't quite expect to be waiting there for him. And it is Helen's mother. Um, which is very interesting considering that she, like Stephen mentioned, she's blind. She can't see. She found so, her way up there, man. But yeah, she found her way up there. She said, cause, <laughs> cause it, there's, it, a, there are other tenants in, in the, in, in living. In yeah. That there's, there's another building. male, there's another male tenant that we know of that seemed to ha- be fond of Helen. And, right. and it seems like Helen probably wasn't interested and he's kind of like a little bit, I wouldn't say pissed, but he's a little bit like still kind of hanging around paying attention to to mark just he's suspicious of him a little bit too but um you know you know what's interesting that came up throughout the film is, is you, you realize mark does not lock his doors apparently and, no, he and, doesn't. And, 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 and and it seems like and it's something that's brought up a lot when we talk about you know uh killers in real life that a lot of times uh people think that they want to be caught they want to they want to be caught in the act and it's like and I think it becomes very evident at the end of the film that I think he did want to get caught. I think he he wanted people to find out, you know, wanted to to, to see his films, wanted to see what his his what he did, um, eventually yeah, uh, until it got I, to the right the right moment. And if I'm not, I mean, I could be mistaken this, but I believe that's another thing that connects to his childhood, where his father didn't allow for for keys or locks or anything like that. To the point where I believe someone gives him a key at one point and he looks at it in like in like disdain. Oh, that's later on. But someone gives him a key later on in the movie and he looks at it and he almost doesn't know what it is. Like it's detestable to him. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, when he's at when he's uh, given by the uh, the paper the paper guy's shop. The guy the yeah. guy who runs that shop. Yeah. Uh, but but getting back to this scene because this scene is fascinating to me. Um, this scene is where uh, Helen's mom confronts him about, you know, her concerns, essentially. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Her concerns about his relationship with her daughter. And and he quickly realizes she can't see. Uh, she She's blind. So he starts running the film uh, with her, just with her there. Because he he needs to fulfill this kind of compulsion that he has or or feed that addiction of watching these yeah, films. I think he also and he doesn't care of who's there right now. Oh no! Particularly the fact that she can't see is. You know, I think he. I think no he looks at that as an opportunity because this gives him the opportunity to 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 scare her. You know, even I mean, she she can't see, so all she all her feels fear is through what she hears. And that that's probably even even more scary. Um, and I think that he finds this as an opportunity to maybe finally get that that image he needs. What um, is interesting, though, and something I didn't mention, is that the film camera he's using doesn't have audio. It's not even in color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just video footage of him um, murdering these women. And the movie that he's watching is the scene where he where he killed Moira Shearer and put her in that in that in that case you know what i mean and he's and and he it's not the audio that that triggers him or that feeds his compulsion it's the just the the video of it and he's running it there and 
there's a moment where he's going to kill her. Yeah. He's going to kill her to fulfill that need or whatever, to to fulfill and add to that quote-unquote documentary that he's making, and he stops himself. And he's constantly battling within himself as this film progresses to fight that compulsion, to fight that need. And it's really in this moment where you see him really resist himself. You know what I mean? Resist I himself. He, yeah, I think he resists himself, and I think he also realizes that he's not going to get what he needs because she can't even – first of all, she can't even see herself when he's about to kill her. He, she doesn't even know he, she's about to get killed. She's yeah. just uh, she's just scared of of, of of the possibilities. And when he realizes that she can't even – the idea of seeing her own death is not even going to be part of the equation. He, he, I think he also realizes that you know he's not going to get what he needs and also that it's Helen's mother and then that you know that talk, yeah. he talks himself out of it. You know. And that he, yeah, and this is the, and then he, he basically promises that he'll never photograph her or never photograph Helen. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a great line. He knows that if he sees them in yeah. fear, that he's going to kill her. <laughs> yeah, that which is very interesting because he actually utters to himself, you know, that I believe it's later on or or you know, in the last in, scene of the movie, he says, "Don't let you know, don't let me see you." in fear like don't let me see well, you upset you know well, there's I'll... a moment where oh i think it's actually before they they go out on a date they go out on the date where uh, when helen grabs the camera and she points it towards herself and he and he stops her yeah 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 and he says you he know, says i'll never I film you yeah, yeah he's because everything i photograph with this i end up losing and which is very very fascinating to me because it, it is kind of true all the women he, all the women he photographs, he ends up murdering. His mother that was photographed with a camera ends up dying. Um, it, you know, his father who who photographed him and he died. I believe probably his stepmother is also deceased as well. Like, yeah. you know, so it's it's very interesting how what the camera shows and what the camera uh, ultimately results in everybody he he, he loses. Um, and it's it's very interesting. But this is what and then the next thing i want to transition to is um is when we is when he's back on set he's back on set and those detectives those detectives are still there uh poking around they're still there poking around they're trying they're trying to get this actress back uh, being able to actually uh finish the movie because she showed she's so traumatized by it they bring on a psychiatrist to work with her to get her to get her headspace back back to be able to do it and the psychiatrist come to find out um used to work with or learned from mark's father and mark asks him you you remember my father whatever whatever i forgot that i forget his father's name and he's like oh yes your father you know you know was you know really famous for this experiment and you're basically talking about the experiment that he that he took part in as a kid and and your father was really fascinated by you know sculptophilia and all this kind of stuff and and the detectives notice him talking to the psychiatrist so they decide to ask the psychiatrist what did he what did he ask you about he's like oh you know oh it turns out i knew his father and you know it's interesting you know he looks like his father he he has his father's eyes very interesting uh, dialogue there um because he's essentially doing the same thing that his father did yeah, I mean, um, I was gonna say he he's he's become his father, even though he probably hates it. He, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming he hates his father, but he's become his father, and um, even taking it a step further, I think he obviously, I mean, he he's doing 
like I said, he I mean he's he's more literal with how he uses his camera. <laughs> he's he's yeah. way more li- yeah. You know, he, he's I mean take, he's taking his father's idea and and, and pushing it to the limit, the yeah. literal limit of of ultimate ultimate fear and ultimate terror is facing your own death. He yeah, is, yeah, I mean he's pushing his father's experiments to the point of like yeah, I mean the only way to get ultimate fear is by killing getting him to to the point where they're about to die. Yeah, you know, and, and what and, yeah. and and what I forgot to bring up in the previous scene after Helen's mother leaves is he finishes watching the movie and what he realizes is that the film cuts out before he can actually film the death of the stand-in actress. So his his documentary is incomplete. It can't yeah. be finished. So he needs to find another victim essentially and he he decide and he comes up with the idea because one of the buddies that's that's working the camera with him shows him the pick one of the pinup pictures and he's like oh i bet you bet you don't i think the line is i oh, bet you don't see this in sight and sound and i'm like <laughs> it's like it's, it's referring to the british uh, film magazine sight and sound and and then that's when he comes up with the idea oh i'm going to um I'm just going to murder one of those models that I use for for the dirt with the it was his, photography. His next, it was his his option in in a bind. He needed yeah, to do it quick. Yeah, basically, it's his option in a bind. And of course, uh, the police are, are, are starting to catch on. To starting him a to snoop bit. around him. They're starting to circle him. So they decide to have him watched, have him tailed, and that's when they tail him to that 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 shop, and. And of course, uh, he he calls the shop owner. He's like, you know, can we, I, you know, can we do it today instead of the next scheduled time? And he says, okay, I'll call the model. She'll meet you upstairs at six o'clock sharp, and you have to be there at that exact time. So of course, he goes there. The shopkeeper says, you know, here's the key. Lock up when you're done. And that's when he's like, key? What's a yeah, key? Yeah. What's a lock? I don't know what this is. So he goes upstairs. He's closing the blinds, and and this is when. Uh, he's going to make her his his you know substitute victim, if you will. Yeah, I, I really like how this scene ends. You know, where he, like she's laying on the bed, ready to do what she has to do. She didn't even want to really be there because it's not when they were supposed to do it initially. And then you know, it kind of just shows him walk up to her, and then it kind of fades out, it fades to black. It's very kind of ominous. Yeah, her name, um, I believe, I believe the model's name is Millie. That's the model's yeah. name. Sounds, um, sounds about right. <laughs> and I read this, and I read this, so you know, don't really quote me on this. Could be true, could be not. But apparently, were there were two versions of the sh- of the scene that were shot. There okay. was a more risque version, which is uh, apparently credited as being the first uh, nude scene in a British film uh, ever, I believe. And then hmm. I believe there's one that's more, um, uh, less racier, I believe. Well, this this actress, I think, was actually um, an actual real life like. She did something like that in real life. Like it was, ah. um, she, so that's I think part of the reason why I think she it was part of her actual real life profession, some somewhat you know based in reality you know autobiographical to her, and so they were I, I probably was you know something good for publicity at the time, but then of course it was just too racy for for audiences right. you know yeah I mean literally racy and I believe I mean and it's not like we we say racy or risque and it's like. By today's standards, no, it's, it's not, nothing. Not, you know, it's we're saying like she ma- lays in the bed yeah. and it shows her tits, and that's about it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and she exposed like one breast for like a 
second or two. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah. It, it, for the time, it's of course a huge faux pas. Today, not so much. Yeah. Um, and but what is interesting in this is we don't see him kill her. All we see is him leaving the shop afterwards. Uh, yeah. We leaving. We see him leaving the shop by himself, and then putting the key in the 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 through the, oh, mail, the slot. mail slot through the mail slot, and and this is and then and of course I, I love I love this because observed. he like yeah he sees the guy across the street watching him and he just kind of like looks up every once in a while glancing like smiling like I know you're watching me <laughs> yeah and what is interesting is you can tell that. Um, this happens to a lot of uh, criminals uh, as, as they slip up, and once they slip up is when they get caught, um, and that happens a lot in the serial killer type. Well, the thing is, is, is like I said, er, like I said earlier, I th- I think he wants to be caught. I don't th- I don't think I don't right. think he wants yeah. to get away with it. I, I I think he wants to finish his film, and he he wants everybody to see what he's done, and and you know because he's this isn't like a typical which you, you know, type of serial killer type of movie where the killers, because I don't think he goes around killing people. It's not, he's not, he's not so simple and straightforward as a killer. He's, he's a lot more complicated than that. No. It's not like. He's, he's not Mike Myers. He's not Jason Voorhees. He's, he's not, not, he is, the, you know, we, as we said, this is kind of the start of the yeah. slasher in a way, but he's not your typical one dimensional slasher where he does it because he wants to do it or it's just yeah. his, it's, he, he's he, a machine. He, he, yeah. He know? doesn't, yeah. He's not a machine. He doesn't like, you know, see two people you know making out in the in the park and then all of a sudden run up and stab them you know what i mean yeah. like it's not that type of serial killer he's more he's more psychological the sec- the, the, yeah the sex in in slasher films of like the 80s is a lot more metaphorical uh, right. to 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 the idea of like oversexed the oversexed uh society and that and but back then it was about like uh it was more psychological to the character himself uh, right. Instead, you know, so you know, I think that that's more meaningful personally. Um, at, at least I find it more interesting that with this character, instead of how sex is used in a lot of them slasher movies, it's right. fun, but it's more of a reflection of society than it is of the character. Oh, yeah. It's so, more yeah. one. It's more exploitative for those. It's movies. more exploitative. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like they they're selling, you know, the movie based off of the violence and the the sexual nature of yeah. it and stuff like that than it being an integral part of the movie. I mean, like, by, by you know, they did it over and over again to the point where it became so cliched and almost comedic. You know what I mean? Yeah, until you um, got to movies like It Follows in the modern time and, and it, like, really kind of, like, literally the, the, the monster of the movie is passed through sex, the sexual act. Yeah, it's, <laughs> you know? it's, like the, it's like the best, like, I think I call it, like, the best, like, anti, uh, like, Anti-horror movie. movie, horror movie. Yeah, like, it's like the like, best anti-sex movie ever. It's like yeah. when you have sex, uh, you, you something comes and kills you. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but back on track, yeah, back on track because yeah, yeah, yeah. we're, we're 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 getting towards winding the down end of toward the, movie. the end. Yeah, we're getting towards the end of the movie, and there's stuff we want to discuss after it. So um, after that, we get um, Helen decides that she's gonna go up. She's gonna go up to his his room because she's kind of curious about. What what his films are of? She, she's so just she a little bit too the, comfortable, I think. I think she just yeah, needs to. Yeah, she she's a little bit. <laughs> one, I think I would say naivete perhaps plays into it a little bit. You know, so, yeah, she's a, some, she's a little bit innocent in this. You know, she's very much innocent. She's very much an innocent victim to a certain extent. Um, you know, there there's kind of a thing where sometimes people only see what they want to see because yeah. they don't want to see the bad stuff in people or in situations. So they kind of block all that stuff out, or they they 
dismiss it completely. And, and, and also a thing with women, women like that mysterious type, and he's obviously very mysterious. <laughs> the, the <laughs> bad I th- boy so complex. I think I think that the, I th- yeah I think that I think that she has a you know the the one guy that's interested in her is probably trying way too hard, and the fact that he's like really mysterious and like just like she's trying to get to know him and so that makes her want to try and you know so she goes up and she's like messing around in his place which women don't do that we don't like that we don't like you messing around with our stuff like let us have our space even though he keeps leaving his door unlocked and just inviting yeah, people in apparently that's a that's a that's a problem yet again it is based on his character uh, like you said, like perhaps he, you know, he wants to be caught. I, I think he it. wants to be caught. Yeah. Yeah, and the ending here, I think, would suggest that. So she's she starts. Uh, she turns on the projector, and she and what we see is not. We don't see the footage. We just see her reaction to what she's watching, and she yeah. is horrified by it. She almost can't believe. Is this real or is this or is this a movie? Is this is this fake or you I th- know? I think. And then I, and then that's when he walks in, and then. She she asks about you know is that is that a movie or is that real, and then yeah, that's that, when yeah. that's when his he completely unravels, and when he he that's when he says you know don't you know stand over there in the dark I don't want to look at you because if he sees her frightened state, it's gonna trigger him and he's gonna want to kill her, essentially, yeah. and he's like and then she, he just lays it all out to her basically saying, you know I film you know that's all true I film women um, dying because I want to see what they look like before they die. I want to see the terror in their faces. Yeah, he finally he, – <clears throat> we've talked about the mirror he puts on the other side of the camera. Yeah, and this is but when really, we see you, the re- mirror. This is when yeah. we first actually realize that that's what's happening, um, is that he's making people see themselves get, die. <laughs> and not only that, but you get that great shot of her looking in the mirror. Yeah, and in her, her face. face. And the mirror is not like dis- an easy mirror to see into. It's very it, it's circular. Like a- it's like a funnhouse mirror. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. It almost shows you know that that it almost makes you look like that shrieking man. Uh, um, yeah, painting with a person with his hands on his face and he's just yelling and his face all distorted or whatever, and it makes you look like that and it makes you look you know horrific essentially because you know dying can be rather horrifying to many people, and and this is when um, the the poli- uh, the the shopkeeper comes back to the shop discovers the dead body calls the police and then the guy calls the, pol- uh, the one of the detectives at home and he's like what what address is that and it's like the shop whatever the name of the shop is and then, and then he's like and then, like, then that's when they're like okay this guy is our murderer so then they yeah, go to yeah. his apartment and then you know they're gonna they're gonna bust in and this is when uh, Mark lays out his final plan. His final plan is he's got all these cameras set up. He starts playing all the audio that he had that he had from when his father was conducting the experiment when he was a kid. Because his father, apparently the uh, kind of cuckoo Wait. guy he is, uh, um, set up, uh, lined everything with audio throughout yeah, the he, house. Yeah, he, he's been he's actually still been recording people. Like yeah, and to he's this still day. recording yeah. people because all the rooms are wired for audio. And he's playing them all, and it's just like him shrieking at various ages, like "This is me at five, this is me at seven. And then you hear like his father's just luminous voice over, like "Oh, don't cry," blah 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 blah. And it's yeah. like it's pretty crazy. And then and he's got, yeah, and then so all the flashes go off, and he's like, "My final, my final thing is I'm going to record myself dying." And he sets yeah, so, up the so camera in such his, a way. He sets up his his camera, his main camera, and with the tripod and the knife sticking out straight, and he basically runs his neck into it <laughs> yep and and the police break in and that's how the movie ends yeah. um and it's something that i think like steven said he planned this 
probably from the very beginning of when he started trying started this this whole film he was making this documentary yeah. or whatever he was where he was going to be the final piece to the puzzle yeah he's, and, there's nobody more scared than he was he could never the thing is he could never he could never find anybody that was as scared as he as he was i think you know he realized he was the he was not gonna find he probably was not gonna find the the image he needed really um he was the and, image you know and you know and in a way i mean connecting to his father's experiment it's it it clo- officially closes that you yeah. know what i mean in a way because he was the victim throughout that and and it was chronicling his fear and his terror and the, and this is his ultimate fear and ultimate terror is dying here at the end um but this film is like we've chronicled very multi-layered so many themes we've been pointing about so many discussions to be had about this movie and there have been there's probably been books and essays and I'm pretty sure this movie is now taught in film schools throughout the world. Um, but at the time, this movie was not critically loved, especially no. in Great Britain. They <laughs> hated this movie with a fiery passion. Um, and it's really, really interesting how many movies back then or uh, when they originally came out were not beloved by by the critics at the time. Um, there are some just quotes I want to read here from some critics. Um, if I could pull them up. Oh, man. It's like uh, <clears throat> this guy called Derek Hill, a reviewer from the Tribune, uh, said that the only satisfactory way to dispose of Peeping Tom would be to shovel it up and flush it swiftly down the nearest sewer. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Uh, ah, and the, he sounds like a pleasant guy. It sounds like a pleasant man. And then this... Uh, uh, and then uh, someone called Len Mosley, writing from the Daily Express, had this to say, uh, that the film was more nauseating and depressing than the leper colonies of East Pakistan, the back streets of Bombay, and the gutters of Calcutta. Wow. Uh, and then another person here, Caroline Lejeune of The Observer, wrote at the time, it's a long time since a film disgusted me as much as Peeping Tom ultimately deeming it a beastly film. Wow. That is... I, uh, yeah, I don't... Who are the... I mean, God, I don't get it. I mean, <laughs> people were not not lovers of the film. Some people compared it to, like, uh, the Marquis de Sade and all kind of stuff. But this film really hurt Michael Powell's career when it came to uh, making m- mainstream films in Great Britain. Well, making films in Great, Brit- in, in, yeah. in Great Britain. Yeah, he, he was basically kicked out of the United Kingdom for making films. So he, he kind of got... He gets... He goes to America and continues to do some work. Yeah, he did do work yeah. after this. He yeah. did. He definitely did have a career after this, but he didn't make quite as many films as he did beforehand. Um, and this leads me to kind of um, a a critical reprisal of his film. Uh, this film was kind of a cult, almost underground film uh, throughout the 60s and the 70s, and it wasn't really until um, the, really the Guys. 1970s counterculture-type people really picked up on this movie and and started getting finding prints of this movie to screen in you know underground you know indie theaters and places like that and of course this is where martin scorsese steps yeah, in. yeah he's he's kind of the main guy that brings a lot of his films back to the light especially this one um and gets like his i think I, if i remember correctly he he makes a deal with the company that got gets the rights to um peeping tom and says hey you know 
you can put my name on this, like, hey, Martin Scorsese presents Peeping Tom, if you, you know, give me a, a print of the film. <laughs> he wanted yeah. like a, he, yeah, he wanted a print of Peeping Tom for himself. So he was just like, give me a print and you can put my name on it or whatever. Like, I don't care. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I just want to get it back out there, you know, like, because he loved the film. He, he, him and guys like, you know, Brian De Palma, uh, George Lucas were were big fans of Powell and and they actually they helped him along in the years after this film and and you know kept his films alive you know yeah I'll, he uh, Marco says he's been a huge proponent of Michael Powell's films especially um, resurrecting them and then uh, preserving them and then having them available literally for people to watch everywhere um, and it's really nice that we're able to see these movies now um, and it's not just his early like technicolor stuff that needed to be restored, but it's you know something like Peeping Tom, which is more controversial and more underground. While you know something like the Red Shoes or the Life and Death of Colonel Blimp would be uh, something that was probably uh, praised at the time, as well as Black Narcissus. Um, you know, it, it's a film that uh, also has a lot of um, just interesting connections at the time. Um, it's a film that I think. Uh, has an interesting relationship with Alfred Hitchcock's films, mm. uh, specifically because Alfred Hitchcock uh, loved to play on the theme of voyeurism. I mean, if you just, I mean, literally Rare Window is about a movie of somebody watching other people uh, where they're unaware that he's watching them, you know, in yeah. Jimmy Stewart. Uh, you have something like Vertigo, where Jimmy Stewart, once again, is kind of following this woman or around town and, you know, just watching it without her knowing. And then, of course, you have Psycho. This movie, I think, is really closely related to Psycho because their protagonists are so very similar. Uh, yeah, uh, there was a special feature I watched. I I, I have this on Blu-ray, Peeping Time on Blu-ray, uh, from Studio Canal. Um, it's, it is only, a, like, a UK release, so you have to have a region-free player. But there was a special feature in there where somebody was talking about the comparison to Psycho. And they said that the thing about you know, Peeping Tom is, is that Peeping Tom doesn't let, doesn't let the audience kind of, um, find a way back to, un, you know, to, to themselves. Like they, you know, in, in Peeping Tom, you're, you're, you're looking through the lens of a psycho and then they, it never lets go. You know, by the end of the movie, you're still with him. But in Psycho, you know, you you go through this journey with this series, this psycho, and then it kind of breaks away from him and gives you, kind of shows you that, you know, with with the scene at the end where he goes into that voice and you hear the doctor talking to him and explaining things, it, it takes you back out of it and you're like, oh, well, that's he's a psycho. You're like, you don't really get that explanation in Peeping Tom. Um, and I and he so that was the kind of the distinct difference between the two movies, though, is that Powell was able, Powell was willing to go. To, to kind of be more, uh, like you said, vulgar with it, you know, was able to like leave you with more disdain at the end than, than yeah. kind of tie it up a little bit at the well, end. Well, if you also, the, the way Hitchcock um, made his movies is he made them uh, to manipulate and entertain audiences. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? With And he was able to really pick up on the fact that he could play the audience based off of what he was putting in his movies. So he kind of wasn't trying to make the type of, I would say, uh, thematic statements that Michael Powell was trying to make in this movie. Yeah. Like you said, um, Psycho pulls back and, and you know, tells the audience 
what's going on. Yeah. Uh, Peeping Tom doesn't. Peeping Tom stays consistently, you know, you know, gripping throughout, uh, consistently aggressive throughout. It keeps you questioning, you know, the character is very much, you, you, there's a little bit of sympathy for the character somewhat, you know, knowing what, what was done to him as a child, even though he's been, he's been killing these people this whole movie, you're still kind of, there's still like some questions you have for the character, even when he dies at the end, like you're like, yeah. Well, yeah. And, and I mean, just comparing him to Norman Bates, Norman Bates, I mean, if you want to go with the rationale within psycho Norman himself, wasn't doing the murders. His mother was, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's the difference. Whereas in Peeping Tom, this guy's committing the murders. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. There is no, there's no split personality he, there. Yeah, there he doesn't, no, he's not schizophrenic. Nothing. He's, yeah. He's just a really disturbed individual committing crimes. And the film is not, you know, it's not going for the shocking entertainment that something like Psycho would go for. You know, when you have that shower scene, which is so frightening and so, oh my goodness, uh, I, I'm so frightened right now, but man, it's wow, I can't believe that just happened. Peeping Tom is not like that. Peeping Tom is more like creepy, for lack of a yeah. better term. You know, it's more real in a certain way. You know, and of course, one, one's one's in black and white and one's in color, so that plays a lot right. of stuff with the contrast. And But they're both movies, I think, and we didn't talk about the score of Peeping Tom. They use a lot of piano like a lot of like just loud piano strikes and things like that, you know. Of course, but the Psycho uses a lot of um, stringed instruments. Um, you know, yeah. the scores are very different, but they're the both Bur- very yeah. effective. The Bernard in the Herman moments. score, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're both the yeah, it's, yeah. You know, it's it's very. Of course, the Psycho theme itself. You know, yeah, great. That was that was Garth from Wayne's World. That's uh, that's that's very apropos. Um, yeah, and there's and and just that that Hitchcockian connection is very interesting to me. And they came out, you know, the same year. The and same like year, we, yeah. Like we said, these both of those films are very much precursors or the foundation or the basis of the slasher genre. Yeah, a lot of the tropes from from what would become the the slasher genre kind of come from these two movies. Now, of course, they're not kind of complete i don't think they get the you don't get the complete picture until probably texas chainsaw massacre where it really it really kind of gives you more of what we would eventually get but these both of them movies really kind of paved the way and and uh yeah and peeping tom you know i do you have a favorite between the two (laughs) that or psycho psycho um you know i know it's tough i mean i think uh psycho i can't think it uh, the thing for me is I always go back to Hitchcock and I always yeah. I always watch his movies a lot more. Uh, one, um, I mean, this is just not even a commentary on the quality of the movie. Psycho is a lot easier and a lot more available to watch than Peeping Tom is. Uh, because but because Psycho had mainstream success, it's it, you're able to see it and people more well-known. It's I, I more think, well-known. Yeah, I um, think conceptually for me, like I, I like, I think, um, I think, Peeping Tom is a is a is a lot a lot more layered of a film. It's got oh, something yeah. that's it's more discussion. Like we can just like what we did today, you know, we can discuss that one harder. But with Psycho, I, I find it's a lot more of an easier watch. Um, it's a little bit more straightforward. The audience can really stay with it. I mean, not that it doesn't have layers either. But yeah, both films um, are extremely layered. Both films, I think, are very important when it comes to um, specifically culturally what they're trying to say. 
Um, I think stylistically, uh, Psycho is more impactful. I think that the style, because it's black and white, and because the images that Hitchcock got out of that, I think that's a little bit more of a stylistic movie. That one you can has a lot more with it that stays with you image wise. Um, yeah, it bo- and both films I think are made by you know really really talented. Oh, they're visual filmmakers. masters. Yeah, 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 they're both. I would consider them masters. I mean, Michael Powell um, should really be up there along with the masters i think uh, yeah. of all time i think he should be right up there with hitchcock um and he's just not and it's interesting here how um the the film peeping tom it, it's i mentioned briefly its commentary on uh filmmaking um and just the way it portrays filmmaking and the way it's commenting on the process of filmmaking there's an interesting quote here from martin scorsese that i want to read where he's kind of not comparing, but he says the two, basically the two greatest films that show, uh, that are about directing, film directing, is Federico Fellini's Eight and a Half and Peeping Tom. Uh, this is the quote he says, I have always felt that Peeping Tom and Eight and a Half say everything that can be said about filmmaking, about the process of dealing with film, the objectivity and subjectivity of it, and the confusion between the two. Eight and a Half captures the glamour and enjoyment of filmmaking, while Peeping Tom shows the aggression of it, how the camera violates. From studying them, you can discover everything about people who make films, or at least people who express themselves through films. And that is very interesting to me when it comes to the idea of the camera being uh, an aggressive, an, an aggressive tool, and 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 a and a violator, because because a camera captures you. Uh, pretty much throughout everything it captures your very intimate moments and and your very not intimate moments but it's in those intimate moments where it captures your true identity that can be very frightening you know yeah, he mean? talk he you know in some cultures people talk about how you know when you take somebody's picture or video somebody it's like capturing a part of their soul you know and so that's that plays a lot into people's feelings about you know how we what how what we put on on film you know like you know, there's a lot of debates about like, you know, we had, do we have a responsibility of, you know, putting out the right messages when we make certain movies, you know? And like you said, you know, with, with, uh, peeping Tom, you know, this shows the, this, the, the aggressive side of what film can be, you know, how we can show the, the, the really the, the grimy, dirty side of, of humanity. Yeah. It film, shows, you know? it shows, you know, so Which a lot of his films things. do. A lot of Scorsese's films are that, you know, very the, much the, so. Yeah, Taxi Driver and and you know Raging Bull and things like that really show that's that's that Peeping Tom esque side of it, you know. Yeah, and it shows. I mean, it shows so many, you know, in the film itself as well as the way the camera's used in it is. It shows just the aggressiveness of humanity, specifically when it comes to. Uh, you know, coming back to the relationship between male and female genders, you know, men being the patriarchal aggressor always, seemingly. You know what I yeah. mean? It shows, you know, their literal dominance, it, you know, through the camera lens in this movie, which is really fascinating when he goes in for the kill, you know, to being literally, you know, on top of the women and stabbing them and killing them. And it's really fascinating how much you can show through that camera and how much of it is not a pretty picture of what humanity is capable of. No. You know what I mean? The really, really harsh things it can be capable of. And that's one of the things that I think is kind of uh, 
not ignored throughout the horror genre, but is not highlighted or talked about enough, is that, yeah, there are certain tropey, you know, silly things about the horror genre, you know, supernatural elements that are ridiculous. But when it comes to uh, films that are about serial killers or rapists or just terrible people in general, there are some truths in there. And that's the one thing about Peeping Tom is that there are some truths in this film where it shows, you know, sexual repression, child abuse, you know, um, you know, male dominance, stuff like that, that is really a part of our of our world, uh, not only back in 1960, but our world today. And it's very uncomfortable to uh, talk about those things. Yeah, and that's why people, uh, you know, tried to get rid of the movie. <laughs> yeah, that's why, that's why they, tried, that's why they pe- tried to when, censor When people it. get uncomfortable about things they don't want to talk about, then they, they try to repress it, you know, and that's... Mm. That's unfortunate. People, that's how the world is, man. People don't want to talk about stuff. They don't want to talk it out. They just want to get rid of it if they don't like it. And um, you know, one other element to this movie too is is you know we say these movies are kind of uh, precursors to the you know the slasher genre, but there is not a lot of gore. I mean, the the, the scenes of kills, there's no there's no real blood. Even at the end, when we see him stab himself, there's no real blood. Um, right it it does hold back in that regard i think it's more the the implication of everything and and there are a lot of people off yeah and there's a lot of scenes where they do the smart thing of not showing you and that's more horrifying you know um or or they'll do maybe they'll show you once and they don't have to show you again because you already know what it looks like and it also plays on the idea that in our head uh is is the images that we have in our head are probably more frightening and more yeah. terrifying than what they could show on screen because it's part of our own subconscious and part it's of our, our imaginations. Can it's be our imagination. More, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but, um, yeah, I think we covered it pretty good. Um, that is our overview of, of the Michael Powell film peeping Tom. Like I said, you know, you can, you can grab this on Blu-ray. Like I said, you, it is a UK release. So that's kind of, I don't know. Is there like a, is there any U S releases of this? Uh, unfortunately not so much. There was a DVD of this that was put out by Criterion a but few it might years be out ago. Of print by and now. it is unfortunately out of print. Uh, it came out in 1999 and has pretty much been out of print for the last several years. Hopefully it'll come back in print now, 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 soon. You can or, you can definitely rent this places. There's places oh, to yeah. rent it, and then it's also on Filmstruck. Um, if you have the Filmstruck service, pretty sure they still have that on there. And if it's not um, on there, like Stephen said, there are places where you could rent it on streaming. Uh, you could try to track down the DVD. Uh, if you live in another country, perhaps it's available there. There is the, the Blu-ray that Stephen was talking about. Um, I'm personally hoping that Criterion re-releases this on yeah, Blu-ray hopefully. eventually. Um, it would be nice if they would do it next year sometime. That would be kind of <laughs> awesome. I mean, they had the rights to it before, so chances are they could have the rights to it again. Yeah, I mean, if they wait to, to 2020, that would be, what, its 60th anniversary. Oh. So maybe oh, they'll wait I, till then. I don't know. I don't want to wait till that long, though. I know, right? It's, it, I know. <laughs> well, I got this Blu-ray here. I'm good. But um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think we've uh, you know that's where you can find it, and um, like I said, uh, you know, check this out, man. It's 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 really it is a fascinating character serial killer movie. If you're into that type of stuff, serial killer films, this is uh, one of the the greatest ones. Um, 
And uh, check out more of Michael Powell's stuff, man, like we talked about before. Red Shoes, Black Narcissus. Um, there's also one we haven't brought up. 49th Parallel was one I watched right. recently. Really good uh, kind of war propaganda film. Um, but uh, that'll be it for this episode of the Cinema Discovery Project. I know it went kind of long, but, you know, hey, um, we, we were having a good time, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talking about yeah, this movie. The time. serial killer. It's just a serial killer movie. It's cool. We're not fascinated or anything. Um, but uh, where can we find you, Andrew? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Capzilla06, as well as my YouTube channel, Capzilla Productions. And you can find me, uh, Stephen Billings, on Facebook, or you can find me Instagram, uh, YouTube, um, like I've said before, Twitter I don't use. Cinema Discovery Project, um, please go on iTunes, rate this episode. You look at our past episodes, we did a horror-themed episode last week, and then we've done a few other ones, talked about silent films. Go check them out, rate them, review them for us. Uh, We'd really like to see what you think and find out ways to improve this podcast if we can, or if you love it. Hey, we'll keep doing what we're doing. Um, And, you know, we got this on YouTube. We also have this on Podbean. Please check us out. Please share it around. And that's going to be it for this episode of the Cinema Discovery Project. Thank you for listening. And, hey, keep watching them movies. I know I will.